Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Taste and see Tuesday, and I promised you a rhubarb report, but um, I'm just going to have to confess to you that yesterday got away from me, and I had to pick a bushel of tomatoes out of my garden, and I didn't quite know what to do with all of them. And then we had a chicken break in the coop, and I, my family's not uh, currently home, and there was a storm that passed through, and I had to figure out how to corral six teenage chickens who apparently don't know that running to the coop is the thing to do when uh, a storm is brewing overhead. So I, I didn't I didn't get a rhubarb mess recipe made last night. I, it's just a big confession, and so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do that and report back to you. That's all I got. That's the best I can do. Otherwise, I could lie to you and say I made one and it was delicious, but that doesn't seem right because not only is this Christian radio, but right, yeah, that just wouldn't be right because if I'd actually tasted the rhubarb, then I would have something to report, and I don't. So it is Taste and See Tuesday, and we're going to seek to. Have Christ be made known among us in the breaking of the bread. And so uh, we're going to jump into some headlines. They, we have a presidential election. It's 105 days from now. So take a deep breath because 105 days from now, we will be having at least some kind of different conversation as a nation. Um, 105 days from now, citizens of the United States of America will elect the next president of the United States. Um, it may be the current president who gets a second term. It may be the former vice president, Joe Biden. Both of them are in what I will describe as full campaign mode, seeking to woo, um, really not uh, the electorate nationwide. Like they both know they already have a core constituency. And so I, I just want to tell you that what is going on is that each of them are seeking to woo particular groups of voters in a very small handful of battleground states. Many of you who are listening on faith radio broadcast signals across the upper Midwest actually live in those battleground states. And so you are seeing far more, far more campaign advertising and you are uh, getting far more maybe wanted, maybe unwanted attention from these two presidential candidates. Some of us live in places that are absolutely not battleground states. And so we don't see any advertising. We don't see signage. We don't see. I mean, I just it's just not prevalent. And so. Um, the nation is not having one experience of this campaign season. We are having experiences in very small communities. And so that's what I want to raise up because something that happened yesterday is worthy of our attention because of uh, the way in which one presidential candidate is seeking to woo one particular group of voters. So although Muslim Americans comprise a very small percentage of voters nationwide, uh, actually only about um, 1% of voters nationwide identify as Muslim. However, there are 150,000 registered uh, in the state of Michigan alone. And so in 2016, Michigan was decided by less than 10,000 votes. And so if you want to swing the Michigan vote and swing the national vote, you really only need swing 
one particular very small constituency. So yesterday, as a part of a deal gaining the public endorsement of uh, uh, of a group called Gage, which is a Muslim-American um, voting bloc, uh, former Vice President Biden, the Democratic presumptive nominee, spoke to a Muslim voters summit. And while he made lots of promises that we might discuss and we might highlight later, I want to I just share one quote with you. Former Vice President Biden said this, one of the things I think is important, I wish, I wish we taught more in our schools about the Islamic faith. What people don't realize is we all come from the same root here in terms of our fundamental basic beliefs. You might have a visceral uh, reaction and response to that because as a person of a distinctive Christian faith, you might um, have a, an Old Testament argument um, about the root of Islam and the root of Christianity. You might have a conversation about uh, Abraham, and you might have all kinds of conversations about uh, the cosmological statement about people coming from the same root. But the larger question, really, I think here is, can a presumptive uh, Democratic nominee who's representing a party that has made its allegiance to godless government quite clear, um, can he do this and get away with it with his actual own constituency? Keep in mind, it was the Democratic Party that made efforts to remove the national motto in God We Trust, efforts to remove One Nation Under God from the Pledge of Allegiance, um, efforts to remove God from their official party platform in 2012, only then to put God back in after there was a national backlash. But the Democratic Party, of whom uh, Biden is the presumptive nominee for president, has a God problem and everybody knows it. So uh, even if the former vice president is simply pandering to Muslim voters, there is something here for us to consider, and that is the cultural literacy of knowing the tenets, the practices, the history, and the worldview of people of faith, particularly people who have a faith that we don't share. And so I do think that there's a larger conversation to be had here about God and the role of people of faith in government, and yes, prayer in school, and yes, the Bible in school. But when we have those conversations, what Biden is basically saying is we must then also have a conversation about the Quran in school. That is an interesting conversation for you and I to have as people of faith. All right, next up, I got Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. He and I are going to talk about a number of headlines today and bring the mind of Christ to bear. We'll be right back. Seeking to pack an hour of content into about 10 minutes of conversation, Nick Pitts and I are jumping in. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement, and you can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Nick, welcome back. Carmen, so great to be back. Good morning. Happy Good morning. Tuesday. Happy Taste and See Tuesday. Okay, so um, Ted Cruz challenged Mark Cuban, and they were in the middle of a a conversation on Twitter, which for some people sounds just ridiculous on the face of it that we would be having a conversation on Twitter. But that's actually where this took place. And it is a significant conversation about worldviews. So tell us what's going on here. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so you have uh, this kind of dates all the way back. I mean, this this stretches back to probably around October of last year where you had uh, the NBA has such a significant presence in China and how the NBA has been very reluctant to be able to address some of the human rights concerns coming out of China just because they have such a significant presence to the tune of, of approximately $500 million every year in revenue coming out of China. Just signed a recent five-year $1.5 billion deal to remain uh, uh, with the Chinese company to remain the league's exclusive digital partner in China. NBA China is estimated at $5 billion. So there's a significant stake for NBA owners to make China happy. Well, um, uh, uh, there was a radio host uh, here in the Dallas area that addressed um, what was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and some players that potentially could be kneeling. And uh, uh, he said that if they kneeled, then he was out, though he was excited for the NBA and the Mavs to return. Well, Mark Cuban, who's the owner of the Mavericks, said bye. Uh, he expressing his support in a snarky fashion um, for the Black Lives Matter movement and the kneeling. Well, Ted Cruz then decided to chime in and then challenged um, him, challenged Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, to take that type of uh, boldness in his action with what's happening in Hong Kong right now, which um, everyone, uh, I'm sure your listeners know that uh, what's happening in Hong Kong, China is continuing to take away the freedoms, uh, many of the freedoms that um, many people in Hong Kong cherish. They're, they're being taken away right now. And so... Uh, Senator Cruz was simply just challenging Mark Cuban in a pretty snarky uh, fashion, uh, as is often the case on Twitter, to for Mark Cuban to be consistent with the social stance that he's willing to take here in the U.S. He should be willing to take over in China as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, periodically there are conversations about particular individuals running for president. These actually would be two indi uh, individuals who fall into that category. I mean, Ted Cruz yeah. has made a run for the presidency. Mark Cuban has certainly publicly said that he intends one day to run for the presidency. This is the kind of thing that Americans simply, uh, you know, broadly would not support. You know, th these are the kinds of of uh, of things that we need to keep it, it probably not in the forefront of our minds, but in the back of our minds, um, you know, going forward as we consider the kinds of aspirations that particular individuals have. This is this would also be, you know, as you and I are talking to listeners right now who are on social media, um, this is one of the reasons that you need to be very careful what you say on social media, because this will yep. never go away. This, this right yeah. here, this this will never go away. Yeah, you, you know, it's one thing. It's one thing for individuals to not speak up on issues. I think social media has given us the illusion that we have to speak up on every particular issue. And so um, uh, Mark Cuban doesn't have to speak up on issues. And because of that, we I don't expect Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Mavericks, to speak up on uh, any type of issue. I expect him to run his team well. And in a highly politicized uh, environment right now, there's the expectation that he's going to speak up on a variety of issues. Well, what Mark Cuban has done is he's spoken up on the Black Lives Matter issue. That's that's fine. I think uh, I think Al Mohler uh, made a great delineation between the movement and the message um, in that particular and his and his comment and his thing. And so, but Mark Cuban has decided to speak up on the matter. Well, if he's decided to speak up on this matter of human rights issues, which is here in the U.S., and then uh, Senator Cruz is 
push them to that particular end. Now, do I agree with the avenue and the way in which Ted Cruz did that? Uh, probably not. I, I wish uh, Senator Cruz would have spoken in a, in a manner that's uh, kind of uh, representative and consistent with the body that he represents and the people that he represents. But nevertheless, he was speaking to his constituent. And uh, he is asking him to now speak up on another matter that would be consistent with human rights issues. And uh, thus far, uh, Mark Cuban has been relatively silent. And uh, I don't want to draw conclusions, but I do know that there is, uh, it's very advantageous for Mark Cuban, much like it was for Daryl uh, Worley, who was the uh, Morley, which was the GM out of Houston, to when he uh, expressed support for the people in China, uh, in Hong Kong and the movement against China. He was silenced early or late last year. It appears as though the same is going to be said for Mark Cuban. Global economics are real, particularly when we're talking about uh, major league sports. All right, uh, Nick Pitts and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to take an angle on the Portland protest story that you may or may not have heard yet. There's something called a wall of moms, and we're going to talk about that And we're going to make some connections to parenting and the question of protecting our kids versus enabling uh, them, particularly when they're behaving badly. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So I want to read a couple of uh, headlines before I read the one that we are going to attend to next with Nick Pitts. Uh, In 2011, Muslims in Egypt formed a human shield around a Christian church that was being targeted by protesters. In 2014, Christians in Egypt formed a human shield around a mosque. Uh, In June of 2020, black protesters formed a human shield around a lone white officer who was being targeted by protesters. In June uh, uh, of 2020, white protesters formed a human shield a barrier um, to protect uh, to protect uh, pro- black demonstrators from the Louisville Metro Police. White women, um, if you if you just Google Human Shield, these are the kind of headlines that you'll see. Um, and so that leads me to this headline: Portland Wall of Moms acting as human shield between protesters and law enforcement. Um, Nick, I wanted to lift this up because I think that there are some angles to this story that, from a Christian worldview, are important for us to. Uh, talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, I, as soon as you sent me this article and just continued to read up on it, I couldn't help but think if mom is not happy, ain't nobody happy. And so uh, we know the, the fierce loyalness of mothers, and that is on display here in Portland right now. Um, now, there's a delineation that needs to be made that I, I think we can all agree in this particular story is that there's a difference between rioters and protesters. Uh, protesters are exercising their freedoms that have been secured um, by our founding documents to be express to express their grievance or their support for particular issues. Rioters would be individuals that are trying to cause harm and damage. And what's happening in Portland right now is there tends to be an interspersing of the two within some of this unrest that's happening, uh, which in turn has caused the federal government to reach out and to put forward. Uh, uh, federal officials, FBI officials, et cetera, 
um, to um, to capture uh, to capture some of these individuals, and that's a whole other issue that's happening right now. But what we're finding is that there is a wall of moms that is surrounding some of these protests to keep um, uh, police officials, federal officials, etc., cetera, uh, from uh, these protesters, which is just so fascinating from a cultural standpoint um, for a variety of issues. But one in particular uh, that I took interest in, just because I'm such a, I'm a dad, I'm a nerd guy, and I love to see how this is playing out because really this is this is an, another manifestation of mothers spending more time and being more intimately involved in the happenings of their cities, especially with regards to their children. So one study found that parents are spending more time with their children. In 1965, moms spent an average of 54 minutes a day on child care activities. In 2012, that number had jumped up uh, to 104 minutes a day, so almost, almost double the amount of time uh, that they spent with their child with their child's activities today. This is just a manifestation of mothers spending more time with their kids or their kids' kids. There's another uh, layer to this uh, that occurred to me um, since you and I had the opportunity to sort of visit on the points. Um, when your mom is present, there's a there's sort of an active uh, conscience, like right. You're no, part of yeah. part of what I think motivates moms to do this is not just um, you know to be in solidarity with one another, protecting their kids. They also recognize if mama's there. That that teenager or that young adult is less likely to behave badly. Oh yeah, yeah. I, like I, I think I, I think there's a layer of this. It's just it's just so positive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I can feel uh, I can feel my ears uh, get a little bit warmer <laughs> knowing that my mom is around because they might be flipped <laughs> no if I doubt. do something wrong. And so I, I, I again I, I again I think you you got to delineate between protesters and rioters. But I think that this is just a, a beautiful part of America when you have individuals that are coming together to lift up a particular cause of support because we are a nation of rebels and misfits. Hence the reason mm-hmm. why we, we left here. And so I, I think that this is a beautiful part uh, of the American experience. Now, what I'm not condoning is the breaking of the rule, breaking of the law and destruction of property. Whenever you have a mom that gets involved over a particular issue, one, I think it's important to pay attention to it. And two, I think that this is just a beautiful manifestation of the outworking that's happening here in the U.S. in this band of rebels that we are. Yeah, I just it's 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 an interesting story and a good one to lift up, particularly if you have teenagers at home or you have um, young people who you know have in mind that they would like to go out and engage in peaceful protest. You know, maybe as their parent, you have this kind of conversation with them. Um, about you being present as their conscience as well. Like, you know, you're walking with them, uh, if not physically, then you're certainly walking with them in spirit. Um, hey, yep. Nick, be- because my next interview is um, uh, is pre-recorded, and so I know that it happens to be long, you and I are not going to get to the Morgan Bullock story today. Oh, okay. Okay. I could have told you all about my particular skills with Irish dancing as well, but we'll just have to save what? that for another time. What? No, not, okay. uh, you know, not in the least bit. I, I have what they call two left feet. I like a particular uh, quality known as talent and, and uh, hand-eye coordination. So that's a whole different story, though. Morgan Bullock. You guys need to check her out. Just Google it. It's pretty It's pretty incredible. Um, Irish dancing. All right, uh, Nick, thank you so much again for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. So good to be with you, as always. We'll be right back.
So when was the last time you talked with someone who died and then was alive again? Now, yes, if you've been uh, in in prayer this morning um, and you are talking to God the Father through uh, Jesus Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, then yes, there is that answer to the question. But but I mean, like in real life, I mean, not that Jesus isn't in real life, but you know what I mean. A, a walking, breathing, uh, uh, on the earth right now, um, substantive human being. When was the last time you talked with somebody who died and then was alive again? Um, not like, you know, a- alive in Christ, but like really dead, really alive. Like, have you ever imagined what it would have been like to talk with Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead? Or the the widow's son? Or the daughter of Jairus? Or what would it have been like to have been a disciple after the resurrection of Jesus, to walk with him and talk with him for the 40 days before his ascension? Like, that's the kind of when was the last time you talked with somebody who died and then was alive again conversation I'm asking about. So up next, I'm talking with Glenn Bertro. He's a pastor in Modesto, California, and he died, and he is alive again. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we have a survey posted. It's only a couple of days left for you to engage with it. If you are listening, then we want you to participate in the listener survey. All you have to do is text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. You text the word survey, you get the bounce back link. Or you can just go to myfaithradio.com backslash survey and participate as well. Only a couple of days left to participate in the listener survey for Mornings with Carmen. We would love to have your input. We want to know how you think we're doing and what you think we could do better than we're doing it now. All right. Text the word SURVEY to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Someone once said, children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word what you shouldn't have said. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You probably know what I'm talking about. When your kids were little, they blurted out things in public that you said in private. That might not happen when the kids turn into teenagers, but be assured that they're still watching you, and in more ways than one, mimicking what you say and do. So if that's the case, how are you teaching your kids to live? How are you teaching them to talk? These are questions that mom and dads like you and me need to think about. Children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word what you shouldn't have said. Mark Gregson is hosting a virtual Families in Crisis retreat on Zoom the weekend beginning Thursday night, July 30th. To register, go to familycrisisretreat.com. I'm excited to be talking today with an actual uh, walking miracle, a dead man uh, who is who is risen to newness of life in really extraordinary ways. Glenn Berto is a pastor. He is also the author of Why Am I Not Healed When God Promised. Glenn, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's great being with you today. So we're gonna um, we're actually gonna start with um, uh, the fact that you suffered a cardiac arrest and you died. I want you to talk with us about near-death experience and uh, and the healing you've you've received. Yeah, the, what what happened, uh, Carmen? It was on eleven twenty-five last year, eleven twenty-five, which is a Monday. Uh, we have Monday night prayer at the church. 
I had preached three times, um, you know, on the weekend. So I was tired. Well, I know why I was tired and more tired now, but I, I wanted to stay home on that Monday night. But my wife was having a birthday party that was given to her by our prayer team. And, uh, and I said, well, let me just stay home. I said, no, no, come to the birthday party. If I would not, if I would not have gone with her, I would have been in a chair sitting in a chair dead when she got home. Mm. I would have died when she got back from the prayer meeting. I drove to the uh, prayer meeting, drove up to the church. We have a lounge. We're on the different side of where the birthday party is, meaning I have to drive all around the campus to get to the front side. I was on the back side in the lobby uh, before the party and before our prayer meeting. I walked to the car, to my car, and my wife was about a minute behind me walking to the car. And when she got to the car, my head is laid back on the car seat and I'm dead. I'm not breathing. I have no life. I'm pale. I'm gone. Uh, and she comes around the car and tries to shake me and saying, Glenn, wake up. I'm gonna call nine one one quit playing. Cause it was just so quick. You, you didn't understand. I mean, I just walked out to the, to the car. Cardiac arrest is different than a heart attack in a sense that cardiac arrest is like a light switch. It's just, uh, you, you're sitting here, you and I are sitting here and then we're gone and you don't feel anything. You didn't know anything. It's just from one minute to the next you're here and you're there, you're gone. So I sat, I was sitting in the car and I was gone. Uh, one of the angel miracles in this is uh, a lady named Penny, who's come to our, came to our church from Canada, out of all places, and God sent her to Modesto. She's highly qualified in the medical field, nurse practitioner, and things like this. But what we didn't know is that she's worked with cardiac arrest patients and paramedics for over 20 years. Uh, she ends up driving up a couple spaces right on the wrong side. She's on the wrong side where she needs to be, but she's on the right side for me. Two, just, she's two car uh, spots down from where I'm sitting in the car and Debbie's shaking me. She gets out of the car right when that was happening. And then she said, the Lord told her, said, go over, pastor needs help. She came over to me. She says, I felt your neck, feel your pulse. You had no pulse. You were gone. Said you, there was no life in you at all, no spirit in you at all. And she said, I pulled you out of the car. And I've got her own video talking about all this. And then she started CPR and said, broke all the bones in my chest and so forth and had to do it around 10 minutes. And uh, she said, uh, in the middle of it, about five minutes, the Lord told me, take my hands off of you. And he says, you, what you did, you opened your eyes, you threw your hands up and you said, oh Lord. And then you fell back dead again. <clears throat> he said, I've never seen that in over 20 years of anybody with a cardiac arrest do that. He said, but what I felt the Lord told me was the spirit went back in your body. And I, I just continued to press through. Paramedics got there uh, about 10 minutes later. And then they left Penny there because Penny knew really more. She's the one that would teach these people what to do. They started doing, uh, they put the machine on me This uh, that bounces your chest, really tears you up. But you, 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 they put it on your chest and it has a motor on it because they get tired of doing a CPR and that kind of takes the place of that. And it's even more, it's stronger, more powerful. Uh, I came back six times when they were doing it, but I died back six times. Uh, so that's the seventh time after over 40 minutes, not having oxygen, I'm pretty much brain dead, uh, is what the diagnosis was too. And they brought me to the hospital, which is really only across the street. We could walk to the hospital. Got me there for 40 minutes, laid me in there. I died again the eighth time there, uh, which is ironic. Eight, mean, eight means in the Bible uh, resurrection, and it means new birth. And so I'm uh, 
and I'm basically gone. They tell the uh, family just, you know, that there's 0% for him to live. Uh, his brain is damaged anyway. He, he's probably not going to have any kind of understanding. Motion, mind is gone. Uh, called my daughter in Florida and said, bring a funeral dress. Uh, I had my family, my kids come in. All my kids are in the ministry. And uh, they uh, they all came in. And they, was just, they were just waiting just to pronounce me dead. My feet were already mottling. And uh, for those in the medical field know what that is. That's when you're, you have a purplish, reddish, uh, marble, uh, it starts at your feet because your body's dying. My body was already dying. Uh, they did a Glasgow coma scale, which is another thing they check on uh, if you're brain dead and so forth. And I was I was basically brain dead and dead, either, either one. I was at the lowest thing that you could have. I had the worst heartbeat you could have, which anybody that has that heartbeat dies. Uh, there was really no hope. They didn't give me any hope. Uh, they didn't give the family any hope. And, and then again, but people prayed. Honestly, uh, Carmen, all, all the people that are listening, they have to understand that that the people that pray for you, there's tremendous authority and power that's there, but it's only those that have authority, uh, that, that have the ability to speak death away from somebody or speak healing or speak you know, you know unity or anything that they are praying about. You've got to have authority to be able to do this, and I'll explain that later if we had the time, or it's in the book too. But And so I, I was... It was just kind of a miracle. I they sustained me uh, after about twelve hours. They sent my son and my my uh, wife home, and said, "Y'all go rest. If we think we have him stabilized." And within two hours, they called him and said, "Come up and say goodbye to your dad." And they mm -hmm. told my son, "Come say goodbye," uh, and they came up again to, you know, and it's thirty minutes away to the to the hospital. So uh, they they figured by the time they got there that I was gone. Uh, then again, then my daughter comes in, she's laying her phone. I, I got a picture of her, a video of her singing the God of miracles. She's, she can sing, she can preach, she can do all this. And then my family gets there. All of them are ministers. All of them just would not let me go, Carmen. They just wouldn't let me go. And, uh, and I, I, I remained alive and then they said, okay, we think he's going to live. And, uh, then, uh, but he's going to be brain dead. He's going to have t tremendous brain damage because of the lack of oxygen. Just medically, I mean, that's what you go by, and uh, they can't explain anything. My kidneys were done. My, lip, my, my bladder was damaged. My lungs, I was not breathing. I was paralyzed. I was in a coma. I was with the ice, did the whole thing. And uh, uh, I was on dialysis when I came out. When I, you know, when I did wake up, I was on dialysis, and I had— everything, every tube in the world in me. And my kidneys were never to work again. And uh, I was not to, to really be alive, think, speak to you like I'm doing right now, have any kind of understanding, any memory at all. And my kidneys are, which your kidneys don't get healed. Your eyesight, your hearing, these are things that don't come back. Once they're damaged, they don't come back. And my kidneys miraculously are healed. I don't have any dialysis I do. Uh, I, I had no memory loss. And uh, I'm just in an area of just kind of recovering right now from the, uh, the whole ordeal. I am talking with uh, Pastor Glenn Berteau. We are talking about not only his miraculous healing, but we're going to talk about the book that he wrote um, actually prior to this event. And the book is Why Am I Not Healed When God Promised? Um, and we come back from this very brief break. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Glenn to talk about um, whether or not the book holds up. 
through his own real life experience. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. Continuing my conversation now with Pastor Glenn Berto. Uh, he is a miraculous survivor of cardiac arrest. Uh, he has shared that story. Now we're going to turn to his book, Why Am I Not Healed When God Promised? Um, Glenn, um, the book was written actually prior to uh, this extraordinary event in your own life. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, does the book hold up to your real life experience of, uh, of, of death and resurrection? Well, you, you know, as I Ron go back, the whole thing, Carmen, is as I wrote the book, before this happened. And I wrote the book and I was, I w- they were going to send it to printing and it would not probably sell well to say, here's a book of why am I not healed? God promised. And he died. So get the book today. So <laughs> that would kind of kill the, kill the sales pretty good uh, of that. The author died. That's talking about healing. So they, they, of course they had to, they tabled it in the process of what I just described as the ordeal I went through during that time. And when I came out of it, then I said, "Don't." I said, "Okay, I guess we're going to go." I said, "Don't print the book." I said, "There's one more chapter I have to write," and I mm-hmm. wrote the resurrection story. That it, the, the, there's not gonna, there's not any book like it. I, there's no way you could plan this where where at at the end of the book, I'm talk I'm dying. I'm dead. Uh, my all of my kids and my my wife wrote in the book as far as what their view of it was, and everything that happened with me, I spoke about and wrote about in the first part before I died of what you do to believe for a miracle, to believe for healing and what you do. And here I am, I I had to use, and my family used everything that was in the book that was already written that they didn't even know and had not read, had not been printed for me to even get the miracle that I have right now. So one of the things that's just, um, I think, People who are not familiar with your name and your ministry just need to know. Um, uh, you guys, Glenn is is a pastor to literally millions of people around the globe. Um, he he pastors an extraordinary number of individuals in Modesto, California. But through his uh, podcast and through his television ministry, so it's the Bl- Glenn Berto podcast, but then also Back to the Altar with Pastor Glenn Berto, uh, TV program that is distributed around the world. Um, talk with us uh, about what you see God doing in the world today. These are really extraordinary times in which we live, um, and revival is upon us. And I would just love for you to testify to that. Yeah, uh, Carmen, I, several things that I, I believe you, you kind of wonder when you go through something like this, you wonder why am I back? And every <laughs> yeah, clearly the devil wanted you out of the way, man. I mean, like that's the way it feels. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, the thing, Carmen, people want to say, well, God's not through with you. Well, was he through with Bobby and Bill and those guys? Was he through with them? Is that why he let them die? You know, it's you can say that, and yes, true is not through. Uh, and I know that God wasn't through. And and uh, you know, it, it, a neat little side story here is my wife prayed for a scripture the second night. I was dead during that time, and they were they were thinking that you know just I guess just trying to keep me alive. And the scripture comes to her: "I'm the resurrection and the life, and though you die, you will live." She wakes up five in the morning and realizes that's what Jesus talked told you know about Lazarus. Mm-hmm. When um, 
in this in John eleven twenty five is where that scripture is. I died on eleven twenty five is when I died on eleven twenty five, and on the fourth day Lazarus came forth. On the fourth day I opened my eyes. I didn't. I don't remember it, but I opened my eyes just in a sense to let her know I was alive. On the fourth day, very similar to some of those things that happened. And but I, I, God, I believe Carmen, um, two things that are are just imprinted that why uh, I'm I'm back here. Number one is this: God wants to continue to see signs and wonders in the church and miracles. Uh, we don't see that anymore. We built bigger platforms and smaller altars that God wants to have uh, not a reunion with him, but a communion with him. Mm. He wants us to, to uh, um, you know, large crowds don't interest the Lord. A circus can get a large crowd. It's just what goes on. When, when you read, and when we all and those listening, we read the Bible, it is a absolutely miraculous book of stories after stories after stories. We don't, when, it, we don't see that. Why are we not seeing that? I think maybe, Carmen, one of the things that I know around the world when I've got so many different comments from around the world from people that prayed and so forth and churches all around the world prayed and were very incredible in doing that, it encouraged so many people. People came back to the Lord. They said, well, you know, because they got mad at God because God didn't do something. And some people right now are upset. God, I'm in the middle of this and God did not answer. Well, yeah, I understand. And and what it did encourage some of these people to come back and to believe God for a miracle and something supernatural again, it caused them to do that. So it helped people that way. But I believe that God wants to see the miraculous. That's why Jesus gathered crowds when he went to a city, is that there were signs and wonders constantly. Number two is um, to remove grave clothes. Uh, there are people like myself, I was in that situation uh, and I was in grave clothes and, and, uh, Lazarus was in his grave clothes and Jesus had to tell the people, remove his grave clothes. Cause, cause you can't remove them yourself. Uh, Lazarus couldn't remove them. I couldn't remove them. And I needed other people in my life to help me get free. So one of the things, Carmen, as we all want to do, but I know that I have always, and I always will, I want to remove these grave clothes that that people have from the past and from their pain and from their issues that they've gone through in life and that they can be free and want to help them to do that. Uh, not only did Lazarus need that, but the paralytic, they dropped through the roof and his four friends uh, dropped him down in the middle of the house. You know, uh, he needed some friends. He, 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 he is in his grave clothes. He couldn't do anything about his situation. And Jesus didn't see the man's faith. He saw the faith of the people, of his friends that dropped him through the roof. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Jesus needed Peter, James, and John to come pray with me in the garden. Uh, I want to, I need somebody around me at this time. So I needed my family at a time like, I, I think this is so important about family. My blood relatives have the most power and I believe in our lives, all of our blood relatives, to pray and to stand with us in the gap when we're in need. That's why family is so important. And uh, thank God that I had that within my family. Well, and we talk about blood relatives, right? I mean, we share the blood of Jesus. And so uh, you, as my brother in Christ, um, uh, you know, you're, you're a blood relative of a, of a different kind than we sometimes think about that um, in the, you know, in the secular conversations of the day. And so uh, I'm I'm thrilled to make your acquaintance um, on this day. The book is excellent. It's Why I Am Not Healed, 
When God Promised. Uh, Glenn Berto is the the author of this. I guess I want you guys to uh, to check out what he's doing. You can just go to Glenn Berto, B E R T E A U, French spelling, glennberto.com. Not only uh, can you find the book there, but all kinds of other um, really great resources, connection to his podcast, um, and really just um, very direct uh, resources and support available for you for the questions that you have that maybe uh, are plaguing you about healing and about prophecy uh, and about, well, a wide range of things, including, um, you know, how to reconnect with God. And so uh, if you're looking for that kind of, uh, you've got that kind of question, looking for that kind of answer, invite you to visit glennberto.com. Glenn, um, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, I'm hearing reports from a few of you that you're trying to listen via the app and it's not working. The podcast for this program will be posted later at MyFaithRadio.com, as are all of the podcasts for the program. So be sure that you uh, know that. And if you want to share today's show with someone else, that's the way you do it. You go to MyFaithRadio.com, you click on podcast, you find the link for the show you're interested in, and you just share that link with someone else. Hey, it is a great day uh, to be alive. It is a great day to be serving the the Lord and Savior of us all, Jesus Christ. It is a great day to be an ambassador of the King and the Kingdom. It is a great day uh, to make Christ known through the breaking of the bread. It is Taste and See Tuesday. And so as we go to um, to live out our faith in the midst of the culture, let us do so in ways that are winsome, in, in order that some might be won. Like, right, to be winsome is to seek to win some. Uh, and how do we do that? Well, we live the faith in ways that are beautiful, substantial, and true. And so let us go forth to be living demonstrations of the gospel this day. We do have another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up next, we are going to talk to Dr. Brett, Brett, Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And then we've got Steve Arterburn on seven ways to choose healing. All up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.